we have to start thinking that selling is collaborative. It's you working with the prospect to help them find problems they didn't think they had. Selling is not adversary. It's not you against the prospect trying to win them over, manipulate them, pressure them so you can make money. That is what average salespeople do in our day and age, for sure. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am your host, Emmy Kirshner. And on today's show, I have Jeremy Miner. Jeremy is the chairman of Seventh Level, a global sales training. He's a contributor for Inc. Magazine, has been featured in Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, and a whole host of other publications. Jeremy's, I'm going to say, motto, mission, purpose is to change the way you think about sales. And he has this most amazing quote that I'm going to share with you. It is his incredible philosophy, the single most effective way to sell anything to anyone in 2022 is to be a problem finder and a problem solver, not a product pusher. Jeremy, I am so excited to dive into sales. We were just talking about this before we hit record And people are afraid of selling. So one, welcome to the show. Yeah. And let's dive in. Well, there's a reason why we're afraid of selling. And it's because of how we view salespeople. And we view them, society views salespeople because the way salespeople have traditionally been trained, where we're trying to, you know, manipulate, push persuade somebody to do something that we want them to do so that we can make money. And for most human beings, I would say 95% of the population, that would probably make most of us feel uncomfortable because that's not how our brains work. So I appreciate the the nice introduction. I'm going to take all that as a compliment because my kids say I'm pretty boring. So (laughs) I doubt uh, that. Thanks for having me on your show. Where where would you like to start? This will be an interesting show. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So Let's start with your backstory a little bit. You grew up on a farm, small town, rounding up 800 people in Missouri. How did you go from farming to mastering sales? Well, and that's the thing, because I think, I think so many people believe for you to be successful in selling, you have to be like, you're just born out of your mother's womb with like all these advanced selling skills. And like, somehow you have the gift of the gab and somehow that caused you to be successful. Like in our day and age, typically people who have the gift of the gap that just talk a lot Mm -hmm. are usually average or below average 
as a sales professional, okay? It's the salespeople who learn to ask the right questions at the right time in the conversation that trigger the prospect to become curious enough to want to engage and want to open up because they feel like you might have something that can get them where they want to go. Those professionals are the ones who make tons of money as a sales professional. So I wasn't born out of my mother's womb having those skills. Those are things I had to acquire, right? I I grew up in a small town, a, a farm. My teachers, my parents didn't teach me advanced questioning skills and advanced tonality skills. Like who's going to do that, right? Those are things that I had to learn and acquire. And I got into sales. It was about 20 years ago, 21 years ago, somewhere in there. I'm, I know I'm that old. As a, broke, <laughs> as a broke, burned out college student. I was like my end of my junior year in college. And I had recently, I was just getting married, had a child on the way. And I'm like, okay, I have to make money. So I went to this you know, job site. They recruit all these people to come in and straight commission. So they hire everybody because straight commission, right? It doesn't, if you, if you don't last, you don't last. There's no skin off their back. It's not like they're losing money. And basically, the company gives you a script. Here's a couple of books by the sales gurus and basically takes you out to, in a van, you know, picture the white van, drops you off in a neighborhood. Now, I was selling alarms, so not so safe neighborhoods, and mm-hmm. basically said, hey, go make some sales. We'll pick you up after dark. And that's really where it got started for me. And I remember the sales manager telling me, like, hey, you got to be really excited when you talk to your prospects. Remember, be really enthusiastic when they open the door. And, you know, talk about the great things that it's going to do for them. And if you show them how you believe in the product, they're going to believe in you and they're going to believe in the product and they're just going to want to buy. I found out from the very first door that necessarily wasn't the case. And I started getting objections like, we can't afford it. We don't need it. We already use somebody for that. Your price is too high. Somebody's already talked to us about that before. I need to talk to my spouse. I need to think it over. I need to keep looking around. I need to keep getting other quotes. Can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? And I was like, what? I thought it was supposed to be easy. That's what they all told me. And I remember like, I remember this time in my life after about seven or eight weeks of going through all that rejection, hardly making any money, hardly making any sales because straight commission, right? I mean, if you don't make a sale, you make zero dollars. Okay. In there. And I remember... Yeah, I remember like seven, eight weeks into this, I barely made any sales. I would have made more money working at a minimum wage job realistically at that point. And I remember like the manager was like picking me up at that night. I remember the sweat rolling down my back. It's like humid in the summer. My, you know, I walked around from door to door for 12 hours. My legs were just completely exhausted. And I remember thinking maybe selling just wasn't for me. You know, and if you're listening right now, have you ever felt that way yourself? Maybe selling just isn't for me. Maybe I can do something better. And I remember getting picked up that night by the sales manager and he popped in a CD. Back in those days, people still listened to CDs. It was a Tony Robbins CD, if everybody's heard of Tony. I love Tony. I might be butchering, but he said, most people fail. This this one sentence he said changed my life. It, It taught me to think outside the box. He said, most people fail for the simple reason they don't learn the right skills necessary to succeed. They don't learn the right skills. And he goes on to say, everybody's taught skills in a job or in a career. The people who fail are the ones who are not taught the right ones. And it was like, like something went off of my head. It was like a intervention from the heavens. Like, ah, you know, and I was like, maybe what I'm learning, maybe they're not the right skills. Maybe they're just outdated. Maybe they just don't work very well anymore. Okay. That's really where I was at. Now I had a major dilemma though. Okay. The company was training us how to sell this way. You know, 
manipulate them, push them, right? Try to get them to do it. We got a special promotion. The sales books they were having us read were saying the exact same things from the what I call now the old sales gurus. Now, at the same time, I was in college and my background was actually behavioral science. I don't know why I picked that, but my background, uh, my degree was in behavioral science and human psychology. And what I was learning from behavioral science and psychology that the best way to communicate, the most persuasive way to communicate was here. But the sales gurus were telling me it was here. It was like completely like opposites. I'm like, how, I don't understand. Like, which way should I go? Okay. And so what I started doing is like, how do I combine, you know, psychology and human behavior mm-hmm. into the sales process? Okay. So I started learning techniques that work with human behavior. So instead of trying to push my prospects to buy, like 99.9% of salespeople are taught, I started learning from human behavior how to get prospects to pull me in, to come to my rescue, to chase me down. And I didn't have to push. And at that point, selling became very, very simple and very, very profitable. That's that's my story and over. You with me? I am. I am. And I'm, I have a bunch of questions I have to share with you too, because I haven't thought about this in yeah. 30 years. One of my <laughs> first sales experiences, I was living in Pensacola, Florida, right out of college. No clue, like zero clue. And I was just trying to find a job and I was supposed to sell jewelry and it was basically the same thing. Yeah, They dumped me off with this woman, I don't remember her name, but she'd been, you know, she was two weeks ahead of me. No training, no nothing. Figure it out. Cardboard thing with some jewelry stuff on it. And we were just supposed to walk into places and sell jewelry. Yeah. I lasted that day, (laughs) but yeah, 12 hours wearing heels. It's still swampy and a gazillion degrees in October in Florida. And it was not for me. And to come 20 years. It was because you weren't weren't taught the right skills to get those business owners to pull you in when you walked in the door. It was not just to show up. Hi, my name is Emmy. I'm with XYZ company. And the reason why I stopped in today was not interested we already have somebody for that. And after you hear that, even for a day, that's enough rejection for most people. Like selling's not for me. But what they don't realize is they just weren't taught the right way to get somebody to want to engage. Because when you do that, everybody's, well, oh, what do you guys have? I'm, oh, oh hidden gaps. And you cause curiosity where they want to engage with you for sure. Right, right. Absolutely. Do you believe that everybody can with the right skills and practice be excellent at selling? 100%. Because selling is an acquired skill. Like I said, it's not something any human being, no human being is born with advanced questioning skills, with advanced tonality. Okay, like I said, the gift of the gap is one of the biggest myths. Oh, they've got the gift of the gap. They can sell ice to an Eskimo. Well, no, they can't. Most people have the gift of the gap unless they're really, really good at questioning and listening, are average or below average at sales in our day and age. Now, 60, 70 years ago, a little bit different. Consumers have changed, okay? The wall of resistance is up because consumers in our day and age are constantly being sold to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And sometimes when I'm at events, people are like, oh, I'm not being sold all the time. Like, I only give one sale call a week. I'm like, oh, really? Let me break it down for you. When you wake up in the morning and you grab your phone, what's the first thing you do? Well, you get on your social media and you start scrolling on Facebook 
or Instagram or TikTok and you see what? Ads trying to sell you something. You then go out into your kitchen. You're like, oh gosh, I need some coffee. Like I got to get to the office or I've got so much to do. You turn on the TV and what do you see? Commercials trying to sell you something. You then get into your car. You turn on the radio. What do you hear? Ads trying to sell you something. You start driving down the road to your appointments or office. You see billboards off to the side trying to sell you something. You take a lunch break. You do what? You get on your phone. You get back on your social media. You see your aunt pitching her latest, greatest MLM opportunity. You are constantly being sold to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And because of that phenomenon, I can't even pronounce it, in our day and age, you have learned subconsciously to put up walls of resistance anytime you feel someone is trying to sell you something. You with me? Yeah, absolutely. And totally agree. What I experience, because I've got people pitching me all the time on Instagram and LinkedIn, is like if your first connection with me is the pitch, you can forget it. And that's the problem is pitching. I mean, I, we like here at Seventh Level, like we even have shirts for our clients that say hashtag ditch the pitch because yeah. you're exactly right. Pitching is not selling. Pitching is not selling. If you are a salesperson or an entrepreneur and you are constantly pitching, I can pretty much guarantee you, you are not selling very much because just like Emmy said here, when she feels pitched, she emotionally shuts down and it's over. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if those same salespeople were asking different questions that triggered her to become curious enough to want to engage, that's not pitching. That's helping Emmy see if she has problems that maybe she didn't think she had. And she starts to view them differently and starts engaging back. It's completely different pitching to actually good selling for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you feel like it's important for somebody to know or to to become to start to, one, get over the fear of selling, but two, start having that pull? Well, I think everybody has to learn how to effectively communicate if you want to be successful in your life. And I don't care what you, even if you are a stay-at-home mom and dad or mom or dad, you need to learn how to communicate because in our mind, everyone is in sales. Even if you don't get paid a commission, you are still out there trying to do what every day? You're trying to persuade, you're trying to influence, you're trying to convince, and you're trying to move others. We call that non-sales selling. So I'll give you a few examples. If you're an employee, trying to convince your boss to give you a paid raise. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to do? You're trying to influence. You're trying to persuade. You're trying to move others. On the flip side, if you're the business owner and you're trying to get your employees to follow your vision of where your company is going, what are you trying to do? You're trying to persuade. You're trying to influence. You're trying to move others. If you're an attorney trying to convince the jury that your client is innocent, what are you trying to do? You're trying to persuade. You're trying to influence. You're moving others. If you're everybody talks about politics, if you're a politician and you are trying to get people to vote for you, you're (laughs) trying to persuade. You're trying to influence. If you're a teacher trying to get your kids to do their homework, you're persuading, influencing. Everyone is in sales. It does not matter what you do. So if you want to be very successful, you have to learn how to get people to pull you in and follow your vision, no matter if you're a salesperson, business owner, or like I said, You could be a stay-at-home dad or mom. 
just with your kids, you're out there trying to influence every single day. I'm going to put it out there that there's the potential that getting your toddler or your teens buy-in is far more challenging than any customer. I have a three and a half year old, so I know exactly how it is, you know. At that age at three, you know, you start asking a few questions like, oh, I'm like, well, Sophie, how are we going to be able to get you a toy this week if you don't clean up your room? And she starts to think like, oh, how are you going to do that? And she starts to clean up her room. So there's little things you can do even with your kids to like get them to think, if I want this, I have to do this. It's like, how am I going to get the reward if I don't do this? What mom and dad are asking. So anyways, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. You said that traditionally... People think that people who have the gift of gab are make amazing salespeople. What are two or three characteristics of what real amazing uh, salespeople have? I would say the top two characteristics is they're very good at questioning. Okay. But also when to ask those questions and when to clarify on the answers and probe off the answers that start to build an emotional gap in the prospect's mind, okay? So first of all, we have to learn how to ask what are called connecting questions that take the focus off of us and put it on the prospect. We then have to learn what are called situation questions that help you, the seller, and the prospect see what their current situation really looks like. Because most people don't even know what their situation looks like until your questions allow them to see it, okay? We then have to build a gap in their mind from where they are We call that their current state compared to where they want to be. We call that their objective state. Now, what's the gap from where they are compared to where they want to be? The gap can only be created, not by you telling them what their problems are, because what's going to happen? And that's going to go in one ear out the other because they know you're a salesperson or a business owner trying to do business. The gap is only created by your skilled questions you've learned. That builds a gap in their mind from where they are compared to where they want to be. That bigger the gap because of your advanced questioning skills, the bigger the pain they feel. And when human beings feel pain, what do they want to do? They want to move away from the pain, right? And that builds massive urgency in their mind to get where they want to go, okay? So there's a lot to that, but we have to build the gap in their mind from where they are compared to where they want to be. And the only thing that can build that gap is your skilled questions that you learn how to ask. And you learn the tonality and the delivery to bridge from one question to the other so they don't feel like you're an FBI agent interrogating them, which would shut most people down. That's a big thing. So now- I'm laughing because I've had a couple of those experiences where it's like these rapid fire interview questions. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, thank you. Yeah, it's because they, they don't ask questions, but they, they don't know how to bridge into the next questions where it's natural. And I always give this analogy. It's like if you want to be a famous Hollywood actress or actor, let's think of, uh, you know, two of my favorite actors would be, what's that lady's name? Scarlett Johansson, because I think yeah. she's awesome in those movies. And I love George Clooney. Those are two of my uh, favorite actors. Uh-huh. Now, when I want you to imagine when they go into audition to a part, do you think they have like their script there and their lines are like, So Julie, tell me about, and they sound like a weirdo or they have it memorized where it sounds natural and they're bridging from question to question with clarifying and probing. Okay, walk me back. When you were saying X, Y, Z, what did you mean by that? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and how long ago did that happen? See, I'm just bridging from question to question. I'm not sitting back and be like, okay, got you. Let me ask you, 
Like, yeah. That just sounds weird. You know, if people are just like, they feel you're interrogating. You're, they feel like you're just going through your list of questions on your script to try to sell them. And they're not going to emotionally engage. They're just going to stay surface level with you. But for you to make consistent sales and a lot of money in sales or a business owner, you have to go below the surface with the prospect. Not only do you have to help them find what their real problems are, but you have to help them see the root cause of the problem. Like what's behind the problem? What's causing it? Because most of your prospects don't even know that. They might know a little bit about it. They don't know the depth like you would, okay? And then most salespeople, you also, if you want to be great, you have to find out how the problem is affecting them even personally. Even if you're talking to a CEO of an enterprise large account, I don't care who it is. If you can't get them to see what their real problems are, the root cause of the problems, because now you're going underneath, you're going below the surface and helping them see how that problem is personally affecting their business and them. When you're able to do that, selling and people just open up. I mean, the floodgates open up and they want to share everything because they look at you as more of the expert, more of the, what we call the trusted authority that's going to get them the results they want. And they will gladly pay you more money because they feel that you are going to get them the best result over all of your competitors who are just asking these boring level service questions. So, Emmy, what's keeping you awake at night? Those are just boring service level questions that everybody has asked for 40 years and people see right through that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that question because it's it's like, well, do you really want the list? <laughs> or yeah, like I'm sleeping like a baby. So yeah, it's like when you get on a sales call, let's say you're on Zoom and you're meeting with the prospect and you get on there and be like, hey, Emmy, uh, hey, it's really great for you to be on here. I'm so excited to talk to you today about our solution. It's going to be so good for you. How's your day going, Emmy? Like when somebody asks you, how's your day going on a sales call? What goes through our mind? You're like, it's not like the salesperson really cares about how my day's going, right? Like, Everybody sees right through that because why? Because every salesperson for a hundred years has been asking the same question. How's your day going? Everybody knows that they're genuinely not interested in how your days go, right? So those type of boring surface level questions trigger resistance where people are like, okay, yeah, get to the point. Like, what do you have? I don't have much time. You're literally triggering sales resistance by using the same questioning that's been repeated over and over and over and over. Got to get rid of those boring surface level questions. They don't work. What would you suggest somebody ask instead or to build that connection? Because you do want to take half a second and kind of bring everybody together. It depends on what you sell. It depends on if it's an outbound lead, like <laughs> you're calling back that's requested information compared to an inbound lead. Maybe you have on Zoom compared to somebody coming into a retail store. Let's say that uh, somebody's walking into a retail store Okay. Let's say you're walking into a car dealership. We train a lot of car dealerships. We train about 160 industries. We train a lot of car dealerships as well. What do most salespeople do when a prospect comes in? Hey, how's it going today? So glad you're coming into the dealership. How can I help you? Yes. What does 90% of the prospects say? I'm just looking. I'm just looking. See, that is a triggered response by the question the salesperson asked, how can I help you? Because they're used to what? Every salesperson asking the same question, and they're going to give back a knee-jerk. It's a knee-jerk question, which is going to get a knee-jerk response. So I want to cut that objection off. I know that's going to be an objection. So I want to basically tell them the objection so they don't give it to me first. 
So they walk in. I'm like, hey, welcome to the welcome to the store. Are you guys just out looking around today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're looking. Oh, okay. And do you know what you're looking for? And then you're right into connecting. So I'm eliminating that objection. I'm telling them the objection. Okay. Are you guys just out, out looking around today? Yeah, yeah. We're just out looking. Oh, okay. And do you guys know what you're looking for? And I'm right into connecting. I just eliminated that response. Because what happens if, if you say, hey, how are you doing today? Or, hey, how's it going today? Can I help you? Oh, we're just looking. Well, what are you going to do now? Oh, okay. Well, if you find something, just come over here and get me. Like, you're dead. So mm-hmm. I want to cut that objection off. That's one way if you're selling retail. Now, it'd be different if you were on like a Zoom call. So I might get on. Let's say if I'm selling B2B and I'm on with like a C-level executive, especially if you're selling B2B, you're on with a C-level executive. You're not going to get on like, how are you doing today? Oh, you look, you're in Dallas. Oh, yeah, I was just in Dallas Saturday at the Cowboys game. Are you a Cowboys fan? Oh, you are? Yeah, I love the Cowboys. Like people see through that stuff very, very quickly. Okay, especially when you're selling to other business owners or C-level executives. So you're going to get on there. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, good. Okay, good. Hey, so let me welcome to the, I guess, the Zoom call. Looks like you had booked on the calendar today about possibly uh, getting some outside help and like really growing and scaling uh, your business, right? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I would say, I mean, it's, it's pretty basic, but the first part of this call is really more for us to find out kind of what you guys are doing now to really grow, like scale compared to where you're wanting to be, just to see, I guess, what the, that gap looks like, just to make sure we can actually help. Because there's, you know, there's some businesses where there's just not much we can do. For them. You know what I mean by that? Now, and they'll be like, oh yeah, for sure. Now, when I say that to some skips, they're like, what? What? You're, you're admitting that you might not be able to help them? I'm like, yeah. And watch how they respond to that. Oh, yeah. But if you getting on there and be like, oh, I'm so excited. We're going to be, we're going to be able to help you. We've got the greatest solution since sliced bread and blah, 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 which they've heard everybody say. I want to take it away from them where they're like, oh, you know, it's almost like, I, I hope you guys can help. Okay. So when I admit, you know, cause there's just, just to make sure we can actually help. Cause there's some businesses where there's just not much we can do for them. You know what I mean by that? Okay. And they'll be like, oh yeah, for sure. And I nod my head because I want them to feel like, oh, oh gosh, I hope they can help me. Okay. Because I'm, I'm basically admitting that I might not be able to help them. And when you admit that, because that's a reality, because I don't know, I don't know anything about India yet. I don't know about her situation. Maybe I can't help it. Maybe she's better off staying with who she already has. And when I admit that people, I'm going to tell you, watch their guard come down. Because when any person gets on a sales call, what are they doing? Guards up. Oh, yeah. I, I got to stay in my safe zone. The wall's up. So as a sales professional or business owner, your job is to disarm them, to get them to let their guard down. So by admitting you might not be able to help, you don't know yet because you don't know enough about their situation. You might not be able to help them. Their guard starts to come down because experts are not needy. Trusted authorities have lots of clients. They don't need your business. It's almost like a privilege for you to do business with me or whoever you are, because right. I'm here to like basically solve problems and get them or what. And when you come across that way, you're going to see their guard come down. So instead of thinking that ABCs of closing always be closing, which is just the oldest sales myth in the book that just triggers sales resistance, we want to talk about the ABDs of selling, always be disarming. So throughout that sales conversation, from the very first contact to the end, I don't care if you're in B2C sales and it's a one-call close or maybe a two-call close 
or if you're more of a complex selling environment, B2B, where it could be a three to four or five, six month mm-hmm. sales cycle, you're continually asking the right questions that continually disarm the prospect where they want to keep opening up and engaging. Yeah. To be great at sales, to really scale your business, we have to start thinking that selling is collaborative. It's you working with the prospect to help them find problems they didn't think they had. Selling is not adversary. It's not you against the prospect trying to win them over, manipulate them, pressure them so you can make money. That is what average salespeople do in our day and age, for sure. Yeah, it really is about collaboration, relationship building, um, and building something together. Well, that's what we talked about. You know, when you give me that quote, like, if you want to be great at sales in our day and age, you have to become a problem finder and a problem solver, not a product pusher. Like all these books behind here, I know that we're just audio, but you're seeing some of these books I have behind. Every book about sales will always tell you, you have to be a problem solver. And that is true. But the challenge is if they don't buy your product or service, you can't really solve the problem. So you're not really a problem solver. You have to be even better at problem finding now. And that means asking the right questions that gets the prospect to start seeing what their real problems are. Because when you first start talking to a prospect, most of them don't even know what their problem is. Or maybe they have an idea what the problem is, but they don't know how bad the problem is. Or maybe they don't understand the consequences of what happens if they don't do anything about solving the problem. So when you learn advanced questioning, we call that NEPQ, neuroemotional persuasion questioning, it triggers the prospect to not only see that they have one problem, but it makes them see that they might have two or three or four of the problems they didn't think they had before they got on that call with you. And because you're the only salesperson or business owner that knows how to bring that out of a prospect, they emotionally attach solving that problem and getting where they want with you because you're the only one that can bring that into their mind. Nobody else could. Making sense? Uh, Yeah, I'm right there with you. I love it. And having so much fun because first of all, I mean, just to back up, like I love for me when you're disarming somebody too and you're saying, I might not be the right fit. Like there's an exclusivity with that. Yeah. And people, and I would even be careful with saying I might not be the right fit because a lot of people are using the right fit these days. And mm-hmm. some people see that I'm just, it's better than the other thing, but I'm like, you know, we might not even be able to help you. Right. You know, cause if let's say you get on a call, let's say, you know, cause this happens all the time. If, if you're in B2B sales, you go into a boardroom, you've met with a couple of the decision makers, but now there's 10 decision makers. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't know anything about what's going on. You're just coming in to present your stuff and they're all going to decide. Okay. This happens a lot. They might come out and like, hey, we already use vendor XYZ. Like, why should we go with you? Seriously, I've heard that a billion times. So what would most salespeople say? Well, the reason why you should go with us is because of X and because of Y and because of Z. And we talk about the features and benefits and how we're the number one company for this. And we got the best customer service and the best owners and the best blah, 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 blah. Which, by the way, doesn't every single salesperson and business owner say they have the best product? How many, yeah, how many advertisements do you see on TV or salespeople do you talk to were like, yeah, we're actually the fifth best product in the market? Nobody. Everybody says they're the best. So when you say that, they just associate with you with all the other salespeople that say the same thing. They commoditize you. So I want to disarm them. And I want to say to that, hey, well, why should we go with you? We already use company XYZ. You're going to say, well, you know, I'm not quite sure that you should yet. 
you know, we'd have to find out a little bit more about what you guys are using with XYZ just to see if we can even help you in the first place, because maybe you're better off to staying with who you already have. Are you with me on that? And I'm telling you, board the boardroom will be like, CEOs of enterprise companies will be like, and they'll just perk right up because you're basically saying, I'm not quite sure that you should yet. You know, we'd have to understand a little bit more about what you're doing in ABC just to see if we can even help you because you might be better off with staying with the vendor you already have. For example, like we'd have to understand and boom, I'm right into my first situation question. Totally disarm the room and they're all ears. They're like, I'm dead serious. You will literally see a whole boardroom of like hardcore, like decision makers just melt like jelly at that. Or I don't know if that makes sense. Melt like butter. (laughs) Jelly does melt. Do you find that when you're using an EPQ methodology and you're really disarming the potential customer that they become more open because they're letting their their guard down yeah. and they're going to be more honest about what their, their pain points are. Yeah, because they trust you. Because you're basically admitting you might not be able to help. And th- they're not used to salespeople or business owners admitting that. They're used to every single salesperson saying, you should go with us because of this, this, this. We have the best because of this, this, this. Our competitors are bad because of this, this, this. That's what they are accustomed to. All those salespeople, they push off to the side, commoditize you because they feel like you're just stuffing your solution down their throat, and they just go with the cheapest price. And you're commoditized, okay? Trusted authorities or experts, they would never commoditize because they will gladly pay way more money to that company, to that individual, because they feel like they understand their situation the best. And they feel like that company or that person is going to get them the best result because they feel like they understand them the best. And they will gladly pay way more for your services. 100%. It's that simple. And I love it. With the people that you are working with and training, yeah. who are coming in and they're frustrated because they're not reaching their potential, they're not selling, they're not making the money they want, and they go through your training programs what are the results? And are they so much more excited about what they're doing? Because they, I presume, are having more authentic relationships. Well, they're getting results and they feel comfortable. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, if, you know, Seventh Level started a little bit over three years ago. Magazine ranked us the fastest growing sales training company in America last year. Okay. There's a reason why. It's because of the results we've gotten for our clients. And that, that's anywhere any from Fortune 100 companies. We have a few Fortune 100 clients all the way down to SMB, all the way down to individual like solopreneurs and individual salespeople who sell anything you can think of. I think we train over 160 industries at this point. So you're talking anything from insurance to cars, to coaching, to medical device, to real estate agents. I mean, you're talking like just everything you think of. We just picked up a client in Berlin, Germany uh, a little bit ago that sells seatbelts to car manufacturers. I'm like, oh yeah, seatbelts have to be sold. And every, who would have thought, right? So it really doesn't matter. So we have over, I think, 6,000 some testimonials at this point from clients. And we're not talking about like, oh, I uh, really like the training. Jeremy said some nice things. We don't really count that as a testimonial. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, you know, that's not a testimonial. Like, oh, Jeremy really looks, his hair is really nice. I mean, no, nobody cares, right? So we're talking about results like, hey, I'm an individual salesperson. And before the training, I was making 4,000 a month. Now I'm making 20,000 a month, selling the exact same thing. All right, that's life-changing income. Or, hey, I'm a business owner. We've got uh, five salespeople. And last year, we we're now up to 35 salespeople. 
Our revenue has 7X. We're now growing out this, or it could be a company like a Fortune 100 company. Companies that you think like, oh my gosh, they're doing so well. They're already doing a billion dollars a year in sales. Well, then we took them to 1.3 billion. Well, that's a big difference in profitability. So it, yeah, results speak for themselves for sure. But it's, it's, I think the, the most exciting thing for me is when people post those testimonials is not just the income they're making or how fast their business is growing and how many people they're helping, but it's how they feel about themselves now. And they actually feel comfortable selling because they know that if they can't get the prospect to view in their mind, that it is far less risky for them to purchase their solution and get where they want and get their problem solved than it is for that prospect to do nothing at all. The problems stay the same and they stay in the status quo and nothing ever changes, which is more risky. So they're able to get their prospects to view in their mind that it's far less risky to actually purchase what they're offering and get results and solve their problems than it is for that prospect to do nothing at all. And the problems are staying the same. And once they realize it's like, hey, I'm a problem finder. I'm a problem solver. All my prospects have problems. My solution solves those. And now because I know how to communicate, they're open to what I'm offering and I'm getting all these results from my clients. It makes people feel like I'm really helping people. And when you're selling like manipulative and pushy and crazy aggressive, you just don't feel that way. You almost feel like a slime ball, right? And you're like, oh, maybe I should get out of sales because of the feeling you have. Most people do not want to do that because it goes against our very core as human beings. Yes. And my experience, so tell me if mine is different, is that when you're in that poll and you're collaborative and you've disarmed, you don't have the objections. Yeah. We talk about objection prevention because you can literally reduce objections by like 70%. Now you'll still have some, there might be some uncertainty in their mind, but now they trust you and you work together to clarify what their concern is. I don't even call an objection to clarify the concern. So you know what's behind it. Like if somebody says, this is too expensive, I don't really know what that means compared to what? Compared to a competitor, compared to we don't have the funding for it, compared to I don't have the funding for a week. Like it could mean many different things. So I'm like, okay, when you say it's too expensive, what do you mean by that? Well, your competitor we just met with is 5% cheaper. Okay. Now that helps me understand what they mean by it's too expensive. I then want to discuss that as two people collaborating, working on solving that issue in their mind. And then I want to ask diffusing questions to help them overcome that concern so they can move forward. I might, let's say if I sold lead generation, I'm just throwing out different examples. Say if I sold lead generation to companies to help them get a higher quality lead, I might ask a consequence question like, okay, but what happens if you don't do anything about this and you keep getting these lower quality leads to your sales teams? And like you mentioned, your sales keep stagnating another three, six, 12 months. What happens to the company then? See, that's the consequence question that gets them to think like, oh my gosh, if I don't do anything about this, then all of these bad things are going to keep happening. So it's a consequence question. Okay. So when we're able to do that, selling becomes really fun, becomes really profitable because you don't feel slimy, you know, the pressure, you make a sale, they're going to cancel tomorrow because they have buyer's remorse. Like people don't have buyer's remorse. So like you've said, it's all about objection prevention. And then if they do have one, because they trust you. They're open to telling you what their real concern is. Like if somebody says, I want to think it over, that's not an objection. That's not a real objection. Like people don't go, hmm, I need to think this over. And for two weeks, they're thinking it over. 
what happened? Is there something you said in that conversation or probably didn't ask? You didn't build enough gap in their mind to see what the real problems are. And they have uncertainty and fear that what you said is not going to happen for them. So they say, I want to think it over. The real concern is, is something different. It could be like, will this really work for me? Or I'm not sure I have the funding for this. Or, you know, let's say if we installed this software, if you sold that, I don't know how the IT department would react to that. I mean, it could be so many different concerns. So I want to think it over is not a concern. We have to get them to open up and tell us what the real concern is from that. So I might say, now, before we, you know, there's some things I would do before this. Okay. Like, oh yeah, that's not a problem. What's your time frame on getting back to me in the next day or two, just to see if I'd be available for see if I'd be available, builds urgency. Like, I don't really need you. Like, you know, to see if I'm available for you. And then they're like, oh, I could get with you, blah, blah, blah. You set up an appointment. And before you get off that Zoom call or before you leave their office or before you get off the phone call, you do this. Okay. Now, hey, um, Henry, before I go, what were you wanting to go over in your mind? Just so I know what questions you might have when we talk in two days. And they're going to say this. Well, I'm not sure if it's going to do this or I'm not sure we have the money for this. And they just tell you the real concern. And then once you know the concern, you clarify, discuss it, infuse it. And most of the time, make the sale right then and there. Mm-hmm. Is Instead of saying, what do you want to think about? Which is what most salespeople or business owners do. And they just like, well, I just need some time to think about it. Like they're going to resist that. I say, yeah, that's not a problem. Set up another appointment, blah, blah. So they feel like you're about to leave. I've disarmed them. Salesperson's leaving. Now, hey, before I leave, what were you wanting to go over in your mind? Just so I know what questions you might have when we talk to them. Well, I just, I'm not sure about, here yep. comes the real concern. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. I refer to it as acknowledge, validate, because you're acknowledging that you heard them, you're validating what they said, and then it's circling back into whatever their, yeah. their concern is. I love it. I love it. Jeremy. Yeah, throwing, out, throwing out rebuttals does not work. Like yeah. if you're going to sales training that says, oh, take this, you know, throw this rebuttal, you're just triggering more sales resistance. Now you might make a sale or two from that. But you're going to lose tons of sales that you could be making once you learn how to work with human behavior, for sure. I cut you off. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, for somebody who's listening to this and they're having that aha moment because you've given so much uh, great content and just the languaging, I think it's going to help. I'm just give it a few hors d'oeuvres today because of lack of Right, time. right. So where can they dive in a little deeper? Sure. Yeah. If they want to learn more about what we do, if they want to get some resources, even free resources, just have them go to one of our Facebook groups. It's go to www.salesrevolution.pro. So go to salesrevolution.pro, salesrevolution.pro, P-R-O. And right when you join, check your messenger on Facebook because somebody on my team will message you a free training that we set up just for this podcast. It'll be a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. It's by my business partner and CEO, Matt Ryder. And in that course, there'll be a bunch of different questions that he's going to go over that you can use in different situations that no matter your industry, your product or service, that alone will help you sell more. And if you want to dig deeper and learn more advanced skills, we go live in that Facebook group three to four times with different Q&As, different trainings, different interviews of clients breaking down their sales process. So they're welcome to go there if they want to get some resources to sell more for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll have all the links, show notes, of course. One more question, because we, we are going to wrap it up, although I feel like we could we could deep dive. For we could be going for sure. Another couple of hours. As the fastest growing sales training company, how has that changed your leadership? How are you looking at things differently? 
Well, yeah. So the reason why I think we're the fastest growing sales training company right now is obviously the results are a big reason, right? Because clients get results, word gets around and just, it just grows, right? It just goes viral. But I think the second biggest thing is because I stepped down as the CEO, stopped running the business, brought in a business partner, my CEO, Matt Ryder, about a year and a half ago, well, almost two years ago, actually, because we're about three and a half years old to run the business. That gave me more opportunity to create more content, to focus on fulfillment with clients, to train more sales trainers because he runs the entire business. So sometimes in the beginning, obviously, you know, you have to do everything yourself. You're like, I'm doing the sales, I'm doing the marketing, I'm doing the content, I'm doing everything. But as you start to make a little bit of profit, you need to reinvest that back into getting the right team around you because I promise you there are going to be people that you can bring in that are much better at you at certain things. Okay. You might be decent at sales. And so you're going to really head that up, but you might really suck at operations or you might really suck at marketing. So you need to bring in a chief marketing officer. You need to bring in a COO that specializes in that. Success as a company is not about you, the individual. It's about who your team is. You know, I, and I always say like, hey, look at whoever the president of the United States is or the president of any country or the prime minister. It's, their success is not dependent on them. It's really who their team is. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I don't think people think about that. Okay, They're like, oh, I'm not going to vote for this guy or gal because of this. Okay, maybe take that into consideration, but also consider who is their team? Who's going to be running the economy? Who's going to be running this? Who's going to be running this department? Like the team is what makes the country successful, not just one dude or one gal. And I think people need to really start thinking about that. But as especially a business owner, you only go as far as how great your team is. And once you, it takes a while to get the right team. I promise you, it's not like you're going to get the right team day number one, and you're all going to be together day number, you know, hundred years from now, you're going to have people that just, they're not the right team for you. They're not right fit. They'll come, they'll go. Other people will come in. We've had some new people come in in the last like three or four months. It's really taken the business to another level. And in five or six months from now or a year from now, there'll be even new people we don't even know yet that will be here doing things to take the company to the next level. So you really have to think about building the right team. I think that right there, building the right team, because it doesn't matter how great your product or service is, you don't have the right team around you. You're not going to go very far. I would totally agree. And really, I mean, what you said, determine what your zone of genius is. And develop that and delegate everything else out. And yeah. Let yeah, somebody 100%. else who's great at that stuff shine. Hundred percent. Because you you don't want to be just average or just good at everything. You want to get greatness in each department, and that's when your company's going to take off for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Thank you for being on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And one more time for our listeners, what's yeah. the Facebook group? Have them go to uh, salesrevolution.pro, so uh-huh. www.salesrevolution.pro. Okay. And just make sure everybody checks their messenger on Facebook. Somebody on my team, when they join, because you'll, you know, they have to, they let everybody in at night. Because usually we have about a hundred new people that join every single day or something. We have about 18 or 19,000 in that group now. So when they let you, when somebody clicks the join, join, join buttons or whatever for people to join, then you'll get a, a message in messenger either that night or the next morning from somebody on my team with a, a free training called the ADPQ one-on-one mini course. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And for everybody who is listening, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. 
I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. Thank <laughs> you.